0: It's a beautiful day outside today. Sounds like it's going to uh, storm a little bit later this afternoon, but God's creation nonetheless, so it's still beautiful. So I'll be speaking this morning, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is James. I'm actually an associate pastor here. Um, A lot of people in here do know me. I've been going here since I was born, so familiar face. Um, The title of the sermon this morning is God's Will for Your Life. It goes actually quite a bit along with what Pastor Gary was speaking about towards the end of worship there, and uh, direction, and asking God for direction in your life. Um, So that's what I'll be speaking on this morning. Uh, Let's go ahead and open up in some prayer. Lord, first of all, thank you for the privilege of being here, Lord, in your house this morning, Lord, surrounded by the saints, Lord, and coming together in one accord to worship you, and Father, we are so thankful for that opportunity, Lord, and you are so worthy of our worship that we brought you this morning, Lord, and, and you are worthy of much more, Lord, but we just pray that that was a, a good offering unto you, Lord, through our singing and our music and our instruments, Lord, and we just pray that it was, it was pleasing to your ears, Lord, and we just ask you to fall down in this place this morning. I ask for an anointing over this sermon, and that I would speak things that you want this congregation to hear, Lord, and let it be in your name, Amen. So first of all, congratulations to all the graduates um, that are uh, graduating high school. This is a good sermon for you because it is about direction and God's will for your life. Um, Slap full of scripture, so it's not just my ideas, although some of them are mixed in there. Um, But I want to talk this morning, uh, beginning about uh, loving God through different trials in our lives. Um, Our obedience to God and putting God first in our lives. Those are kind of the three things I'm going to be talking about. So loving God through trials in your lives, our obedience to God, and putting God first. I want to start off by saying that not every trial in our life is a test from God. When we think of tests from God, we think about, you know, the story of Job and, and how the devil and, 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 and the Lord actually had a conversation about his servant Job, and they put him through all these trials. But not every trial that we come through in our life is a test from God. Is this mic on fire right now? Am I super loud? No, I'm good? righty. Um, how many of us in here are going through a trial right now? Anybody? Just me? Okay, a bunch of people. We have lots of trials in our lives. In Isaiah chapter 65, um, verses 17 through 18, this is Isaiah's vision of, of a new earth. I just want to read it real quick and I'll kind of tie it into what I'm talking about. Uh, For behold, I created new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing, and her people a joy. So I read this verse because oftentimes trials in our lives get turned into a way bigger issue than they really are. And I'm not downplaying some really hard trials and things that we all go through, and I know that some of those can be really difficult, but we know that God has created a new heaven and a new earth for us to be at one day, this place called heaven. Oftentimes, we don't talk too much about heaven anymore. You don't hear a lot of people talk about heaven because it takes you way out of your comfort zone. You know, you have your house, your car, your kids, your husband, your wife, your dog. To think about all that kind of going away, you having no control over everything, and going to this place that you know nothing about that the Bible describes as heaven is something that can be kind of uncomfortable to think about. You have no idea what it's going to be like. When we go through trials in our lives, it, it, it slips our mind that we're only on this earth for a short time. Um, Paul puts it that he's just passing through, actually. I think that's a really cool way to put it. Um, but God has created a place of perfection for us to live in forever, and that's called heaven. But later on in that verse, it also said that God created us to be a joy for him. So if God created us to be a joy, then, then why does he sometimes put us through trials and things that give us anxiety or fear or worry or well up these emotions inside of us, why wouldn't he just make everything around us perfect here today? In Psalms 34 verse 19, the psalmist says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So even saints receive afflictions and trials. It's not just um, for the people that aren't followers of Christ. But God doesn't give us trials and afflictions in our life without a purpose behind them all. In First Peter chapter one, verse seven, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ, our faith will be tried by fire, as it's as it's described in First Peter. You know how we react in a time of trial often shows the strength in our faith. Yep. Just like how, you know, a spouse or a family member or a friend, you know, it's really easy to be friends with somebody when everything's going great. But sometimes you don't want to be around them when things are going bad, you know? They might bring you down. They've got a bad attitude. You know, you might not have the time to be there for them cuz you know you're just gonna have to support them all the time. So it's very similar. Our faith really shows in times of trial. And in, in, in the strength of your faith will show when things do get hard. We will be tested on our faith until the day that Jesus comes, not only by the enemy, but sometimes by the Lord. Think about the present trial you are going through. Have you ever, you know, in your mind accused God of, of, of taking you through something kind of meaninglessly? Maybe not put in those words, but you think in your head like, why, why, would, why would you put me through this, God? You know, is this you, God, and why are you putting me through this? But God has a purpose in your trials, and most of the time it is to mature your faith. But oftentimes what we are going through isn't testing, but training. And God is refining our faith for a greater purpose, to stand up to trials and tribulation or even later opportunities in our life. But God's plan is different than ours. But it is not our role to question God's plan for us. That is not what we're here for. God has a plan for us. We accept his plan, that his will be done. So there's a story of a pastor. His name was Dwayne Miller. Pastor Dwayne Miller, he was in Texas. He uh, pastored a gigantic church. Thousands of people there on Sunday mornings. Packed out, awesome speaker, knowledgeable in the word. People were just, just enthralled at listening to him speak. Seemed like everything he said was prophetic. More and more people were coming to his church. He had a beautiful church, a a nice, huge building to hold all the people he had. Um, Mighty man of God. If you ever have a chance to listen to his sermons, you can hear just how how strong in the spirit he is. He had three services on Sunday morning. He had a morning, an afternoon, and a night service. Could you imagine doing that? That would be brutal. It took me six hours to come up with this. But... um, his, his morning service just like went like any other. It was an awesome service. And towards the end of the service, he had, a couple, he had about 10 minutes left in his service. His voice started to hurt real bad, like he had a cold or a flu or something. So he went on to the afternoon service, and he could barely get through it. And by that time, he told his wife, he said, I'm not going to be able to do the evening service tonight. I can barely talk. I don't know if I have a cold or a flu, but I can't talk. I'm not going to be able to do it. So they canceled this evening service. He went to the doctor the next day. He had some strange disease that was attacking his vocal cords and was making him unable to speak. A mighty man of God, the, a leader of a church, shepherd over thousands of people at his church, diligent with his, with his prayer, diligent with reading the word. And he lost his voice. The only thing that he was his platform for speaking was gone. So they had prayer over him over and over and over again, and it didn't come back. About a year later, he stepped down as lead pastor of that church, and the associate pastor came up, and his wife and him were so distraught that they actually moved out of the town in Texas they were in into another town. And they got affiliated with this other church that was local that they did their research, and they felt like it was a good fit for them. And the senior pastor at that church heard who Pastor Dwayne Miller was, and so he, he asked him... Uh, after going there for several months, if he would mind teaching a uh, a Sunday morning uh, children's service. Now, this has been years since he has he um, had this issue the first time at his church with his voice, which he left. And, you know, the people really just wanted to hear him speak because they heard he was such a, a prolific speaker that they were like, well, you just teach a Sunday school service. And he said, you know, yeah, I'll teach a Sunday school service. He had a, a voice that was so raspy, you couldn't even understand him. So on that Sunday morning, he teached a Sunday school service, and they were actually, they were, they were filming the service, and they would keep it on, on uh, DVDs. So if it was a large church, so if people weren't able to make it, they would give them, or also give them to the parents, so the parents could hear what their children were hearing that Sunday morning. So I actually have the audio from that video I mean, it's a video, but it's just audio and the words are up there, but it's Pastor Dwayne Miller uh, speaking for the first time uh, since his vocal cord injury to a bunch of children in a Sunday school. If you guys want to go ahead and roll that. with Huh? Hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds funny to say a lot. So, Pastor Dwayne Miller, on that morning, speaking at that Sunday service, got his voice back. Um, while he was speaking on God's healing power, a man that lost his voice, preaching, and was lost his, his 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 as strange as it sounds, he lost his job, his income that he had from you know building this church, um, which wasn't anything over the top. He took a modest salary. Um, but he lost it all, and here he was preaching to children on God's healing power and how God still heals, and he got his voice back. So when I, earlier in my, in, in, when I first started, I said that, you know, God's when he puts us through trials, it's oftentimes to refine our faith. Now Pastor Dwayne has another church he speaks at. He obviously has an incredible testimony. It is so great that that was captured on audio for us to be able to share and listen to today as well. But God's trials he puts us through are often trials of praise to see how we praise God through our trials. Because it's really easy to praise God when things are going great. When your job's going good, when your marriage is going good, when your kids are all doing good. It's so easy to praise God at those times. But the trial of praise comes when things aren't going good. Are you going to praise God when things aren't going good? Or are you going to blame God? Are you going to turn away from God and try to figure it out on your own? Those are oftentimes what I like to call a trial of praise to see how you praise God in those circumstances. Now I'm going to go back. There's a lot of times that we go through trials in our own lives and they have nothing to do with God. We did them to ourselves. And you don't just bring God into it at the end and say, hey God, clean up my mess. This trial you're putting me through. Let me give you an example a perfect example of what, how that happened in my life, a trial that I put myself through that had nothing to do with God. So last summer, um, I decided with my business that I wanted to open up another location. So without much thought, with zero prayer, with no, with no you know, asking for advice about it. I kind of just in a week did it on my own. I picked a location. I picked a place. I, I, I invested some money into it, and I got it done, and we opened up. The first month went great. I was working there. The second month went great. I was working there. I was like, time to hire an employee. Hired an employee there. Things didn't work out, um, so after about two to three weeks, uh, they left. Hired another employee in there. Um, there was some things going on, theft, other things that were no good. Uh, so they had to go. The place just sat vacant for a few months, and I was like, okay, got to figure this out. So kept my chin up. I was like, I'm going to get one more employee in there. One more employee in there. Still didn't work out. And now at the end of this month, I'm closing that place down. But when I decided last month about closing it down, I, I, the thought went into my head, like, why would, why would God let this happen to me? You know, I've been reading my Bible every day, been praying. I've been doing all these things right. Like, shouldn't God be like pouring that Abrahamic promise and blessing over my life right now? But I realized that God had nothing to do with that from the beginning. I never prayed about it. I never, I never sought the Holy Spirit about it. I never prayed. I prayed for it after I already did it. It was like, hey God, uh, i made this decision on my own without asking you anything, and is there any way you could just come clean up my mess? But that's not how it's supposed to be. God is supposed to be intricately involved with every decision in our life. Relationships, jobs, His opinion should come first. We should go to prayer first. Now, chronologically, you might talk to your spouse or somebody first. I'm not saying, you know, at the exact time, but God's opinion and the Holy Spirit should be first in any decisions in our life. That way, if things do go wrong, we can at least somewhat rightly go to God and ask for advice or what to do next or how to move forward or God, you know, I, maybe I didn't, you know, your, your will was not for me to do that, but I was seeking you the whole time and I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. But the wrong thing to do is to just use God as a janitor and, for example, start this relationship with someone on your own. And then six months down the road, it's toxic, things don't work out, God, please heal my relationship. Well, you should have asked God in the first place if you should have been in that relationship or not, rather than after the fact ask Him to heal everything. So, how do we show our love for God? How can we show our love for God? God's already shown his love for us, and he continues to do so every day by being so merciful to us. But he sent his son to die on the cross for us, that precious blood from Calvary, the covenant love he has for us. How can we show God that we love him on a daily basis? In John 14, chapter 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. One of my favorite verses is in Matthew, chapter 22, and Jesus is asked, Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers, and he says, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So how do we show God we love him? We be obedient to him. We involve him in our lives, not just when it's convenient for us, but we involve him in our lives throughout everything because he wants to be the master of our lives, the center of our lives. He's supposed to lead us, we don't we don't just use him when we need him like he's a an errand boy or something. Hey God, something fell through this week. I need you to come through and pull me out of this mess. He's supposed to be the center of all our lives to have that relationship. But you can show God you love him by keeping his commandments. You know, it would be it would be untrue to ever tell somebody that God doesn't love them. You can't ever say that. You know, I was I was minister, I had a chance to minister to this couple. They were, um, they were young, they weren't married, uh, they were living together, um, they were having sex outside of marriage, and they went to church and they're asking me for my advice on, you know, them getting married. And I told them that I don't think now's a good time for you to get married. I think that you guys should both separate, not permanently, but just on an individual basis go find your own relationship with God. Because I don't think, you know, either of you are walking in a place right now where you should be with God. And the girl said, are you saying that, uh, not right after I said that, but it got to a point where she was like, are you saying that God doesn't love me? I said, no, I'm not saying that at all. I think God absolutely loves you. But I don't think you're showing, you're loving him very much by not keeping his commandments. You're not showing him how much you love him because you're not keeping his commandments. And that's how we show our love for God, by keeping his commandments doing the things He's outlined for us to do for Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10.31 Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all things to the glory of God. We should do everything to the glory of God, whether it be eating or drinking. You can take a shower to the glory of God. You can drive to work to the glory of God. You can throw a football in the backyard to the glory of God. You can do everything to the glory of God. So I came up with a list of four things that lead believers away from obedience to the Lord or worse, into a place of passivity. Now, when I say passivity and why I say that's worse is because I use that word as in you think that everything's great, but you've fallen into this place where you're, you're, you're not where you should be, passivity. So the four things, one is hypocrisy, Matthew 15 verse 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's, it's saying all the right words, but being totally, but God being totally absent from your life when nobody is looking. Not involving God in the things you have figured out on your own. You know, especially in this day and age, you feel like if you go into church on Sunday, you can clock in and clock out, and you got your holiness for the week, and you're good to go for the other six days. But that's hypocrisy. All this is, is just a time for us to all meet together, worship the Lord together, Um, we have the privilege of of speaking uh, freely in this nation about the Word and what we believe in. But God needs to be... He's not just here on Sundays. The eyes of the Lord row to, to and fro throughout the earth. He sees all seven days of the week, all 24 hours of the day, all 365 days of the year. Point two is losing the fire. Revelation 2, 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Losing that fire, becoming comfortable in, the walk, in your walk, blind to the fact that the enemy is constantly looking for a way to pull you away from the Lord. And if you lose that fire, if you lose that hunger to read your word, if you lose that, that passion to pray, if you, if you decide you're just going to go to church once a month, if you decide you know, you're going to start you know, watching this TV show again, even though you shouldn't, You will lose that fire, and the enemy will slowly, without you even seeing it, he will get a hold of your life. When you first get saved, lots of things change in your life. When you're, whether radically saved or or whatever happens, when you first get truly saved, lots of things change in your life. The way you talk, the things you watch, the things you listen to, the, uh, the people you hang out around, lots of things change immediately. But you can lose that fire over time when those things get replaced, and oftentimes they aren't replaced with the same thing. You get saved, you're like, I'm never watching that TV show again I used to watch because it is filthy. And then a couple years later, you're like, I am going to start watching this TV show. It's not that one. But you probably shouldn't be watching that anyways. You get rid of this, friend, this friendship that was toxic, and, and then a couple years later, you develop a new one. might not be the same person, but it's the same kind of thing. The enemy is so sneaky in getting you to lose that fire that God puts inside of you, and you won't see it. And you need to be around people that can help you see it. You need to be around a a true friend that is willing to say, you know what, I'm seeing a change in you. There's some, you're, not, you're not acting like you used to act. You were so excited about the Lord before. That's why church and meeting people and, and coming together, and, and a lot of us here are familiar with each other. It's good to be open with each other, to really have an accountability partner, a friend inside the church, someone you do a Bible study with. The third one is not putting God first. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So you only involve God when you need Him. You only involve God when things are bad. Not putting God first is is if there's any aspect of your life that's a major decision and you think you can figure it out on your own. Ask Ask for God's advice, and most importantly, ask that God's will be done in your life. And the fourth and final one is greed. When earthly goals and passions take away from your affection from Jesus. Greed is often synonymous with money and for good reason because that will quickly take our affections away from Jesus. When you have this project at work and you're working so hard on it and two weeks go by and you realize you haven't cracked your Bible open. You know, when, 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 when you have a goal set in mind for a house or for a car and you're constantly on, on Zillow looking at how you're going to afford this house and you're applying and you, and you totally lose sight of God's will for your life. Not seeking the Holy Spirit for decisions in your life and not keeping God at the center of direction in your life is disobedience to God and it is sinful. When God says something, he means it. His word is very deliberate. When he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When that came from the lips of the Holy Son of God, he meant it. God isn't like us. He doesn't say things and then go back and say, well, I didn't mean it like that. Or say, well, they heard me wrong. I didn't mean it like that. When God says something in his book, he means exactly what he says. There are stories in the Bible that show God's wrath and the severity of not being obedient to the Lord. Two that come to mind are Sodom and Gomorrah. We all know what happened there. If you've actually read that story, it is horrifying. God sent an angel down, and the angel was in this room speaking with somebody and there were people trying to break in and the Bible says so that they were breaking in so that they could know the angel carnally. That's what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's wrath came down on that city. One that's a little less extreme but with the same kind of punishment was Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Now, When I say less extreme, they were lying to the Holy Spirit about where their money went for selling these goods, and God killed them both dead right there. But there's a story about God's wrath in the Bible that I want to read this morning that many of us aren't familiar with. I wasn't until this week. It's in Numbers chapter 15, verse 32. And it says, Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. So I'm going to stop right there. What are some of the reasons you would gather sticks? Make a fire? There's really not a whole lot of reasons. Make a fire maybe to keep your wife and children warm. Make a fire to feed your family, to cook food. There's really not a whole lot of reasons to be gathering sticks. And I want to point out it's a pretty wholesome thing to be doing, just out gathering sticks. You're kind of cleaning up. You know, it's not like uh, they found a man and he was out, you know, making an idol. No, they found a man and he was out gathering sticks. Verse 33. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord, so he's gathering sticks on the Sabbath. This is post Ten Commandments. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So when God created, when God sent the Ten Commandments, he didn't say, you know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and then there's some stuff you can get away with, but for the most part, you know, just try to, you know, he, he, he meant that. Do not work on the Sabbath day. So the man that was out collecting sticks, you know, there, God, there's not a whole lot of, of, of lines in between what God says. He's a deliberate speaker. Everything he says in the Bible, you can take it for exactly what it is. Now that seems pretty brutal, isn't it? Does everybody think that's pretty brutal? The whole Bible is pretty brutal. You know what's, what's, what makes it seem so brutal is because we live in such a, such a soft society and we're surrounded by soft Christianity. Then we hear things about the wrath of God it seems so brutal to us. But God is no different now than He was then. It is the same God. The only difference between God's wrath then and God's wrath now is outlined in Acts 17.31, that he has appointed a day. And then in Romans 2.5, it says that God is storing up his wrath. So in the Old Testament, when something would happen, God would show his wrath right then. There's nothing holding it back. When uh, Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant, right then he fell, right, fell dead just for touching it. No questions asked. Didn't have time to defend himself. It just happened immediately. Well, God's wrath is the same then as it is today. But he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness and when all of that wrath will come. So we can get cozy in our our walk with God and not involving him in things and decisions because we don't see the punishment of it. We hear about it and we read it. But, you know, back when when the man was collecting sticks, all those people saw that. And they were probably like, oh, God probably means business when he says we should not work on the Sabbath. Because we just had to stone a man to death because we were commanded to by the Lord. So just because we don't see God's wrath, it's still there. And there's a day where it's appointed that he will judge the world in righteousness. So when Jesus faced the biggest, when the Son of God faced the biggest trial in his life, What did he do? What was the first thing he did? He didn't sit around and gripe about it, which is what we do a lot. He didn't try to come up with a plan on his own, which is what we do the most of, I would say. The first thing the Son of God did at the biggest trial of his life was in Gethsemane, and he prayed. And I want to make a few points about the prayer that he was praying. So in Matthew 26, verse 36, at the the most crucial time of humanity, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet not as I will, but as you will. Your will. Your will. When we have something that seems like it's the right thing to do in our lives, it doesn't mean that it's God's will. Pray and ask that it's God's will before moving forward with a decision. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, that's when we got the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Your will be done. You know, Father, I want to take this job, but thy will be done. Father, I want to, I'm thinking about starting this relationship, but thy will be done. Father, I want to move out of state, but thy will be done. Now, not all the time do your suggestions work out as they work out, and they shouldn't. Because if they do always work out, you're probably not listening very well. Because if we go back to Gethsemane, what was, what was Jesus asking for? he said, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to drink the the cup of all the iniquity of all the world here. Take it from me. But how did he follow it up? He said, but not my will, but your will. Well, it was not God's will to take that cup from his son that day. That was Jesus's suggestion, but it was not God's will. So how can we know what God's will is? Don't just ask, but listen. Listen with your ears and listen with your spirit. Here are some practical examples to how to know what God's answers to your questions are about direction. Ask God for visions. Ask God for dreams. Ask God for a sign. Ask God for direction. Ask God for an audible voice from the Holy Spirit. Ask God for someone to prophesy over over you. Ask God for an answer and listen to what he says. Oftentimes when we pray, we're so overwhelmed that we'll just talk, 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 talk. Amen. All right, I'm out of here. Time for dinner. Well, God didn't have time to answer anything that you were talking about. And you're babbling about so much that you're crossing over yourself and you, haven't even, you don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Ask God for something specific and listen. I find it so interesting that in my life, last year, going through such a, a, a revival personally, that I made a decision like I did without talking to God about it first. And it was disobedient of me to do that. For me to, you know, read my word every day and to, to, to be pursuing God so much, but I make a decision big in my life and I don't involve God in it. And you know, I've, I've something that really... The scales fell off my eyes about that situation. I saw it after the fact, and I see it now. And you read in the Bible how intricately important it is to involve God in every decision in your life. It is so important. In closing, I I pray for a breakthrough in our lives that we put God first in all of our decision-making. Every Christian should have a breakthrough in their walk when they recognize the sweet covenant love and Jesus' sacrifice for us. And just how important it is to utilize this gift that we got sent, which is the Holy Spirit, which is to comfort us. It is to guide us. It'll direct us. But the Holy Spirit, among many other things, can oftentimes be our caretaker. And it provides guidance to to us. So let's utilize that gift that, that was given to us. And when we have questions about what we should do in our lives where we should go, jobs we should take, was seek the Holy Spirit first, because He has all the answers. The most dangerous thing is when you think you have all the answers or you can do it on your own, because you usually can't. You guys are so stoic this morning. It's almost like a good message. Oh thank you. (laughs) But I want to pray that just over the congregation this morning. And I wanted to share a little bit personally for me so you guys didn't think I was pointing the finger at you because I did it in my own life. And it's, it's so important that we, that we don't lose sight of that. That even the little things God needs involved in. Because God's only comfortable with being in the center. When you hear about God or Jesus in in, in Revelation, when John's describing Jesus, he's always in the midst of everything. He's in the midst of the elders. He's in the midst of the animals. He's always in the center, and it's the same in our lives. He needs to be in the midst of all of our decisions. God is not comfortable being outside of the midst. He's not comfortable being on the back burner. He's only comfortable being at the center, and he won't accept any less because he is a jealous God. And he doesn't just want 90% of your life, he wants 100%. So does that include bringing him into the decision-making about whether you're going to switch from second shift to third shift? Yeah, it does. Everything he needs to be in the center of. Because when you start deciding what God should and shouldn't be in the center of, you've gone down the wrong path. He should be in the center of everything. So let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we just pray right now for an awakening in this church, Lord. An awakening, Lord, that that would drive you into the center of all of our lives. Father, I gave a personal story this morning about a decision that I made where you weren't at the center, and you weren't consulted about the decision, and things turned to ruin because of it. And Father, we just pray that your name would be glorified by being at the center of all of our decisions. And Lord, we know that if you were truly at the center of all the decisions of all the people in this room, this would be a much better church family, a much better place. Lord, we know that that we fall short often of putting you at the center of our decisions. And we come later and ask for direction. But Father, we want to come first and ask you for direction. Lord, we are so thankful that you sent the Holy Spirit to us, Lord. Without the Holy Spirit, we would be lost in, the, in, the, in the, the provision that you have over our lives, Lord. But we don't just want to use you to clean up our messes, Lord. We want to come to you first with decisions in our life, Lord, and ask you for direction and not go down our own direction and then ask you for guidance afterwards. We want you to be our spiritual compass, Lord. The only way to do that is through prayer, Father, and I just pray that the hunger for prayer would increase with each individual person in this church, that we would find a quiet, private place to pray every night with ourselves, with our spouses, but to have our own private time of prayer, Lord, where no one else is watching, where no one sees it, it's just us and you, and we're asking you for guidance, Lord, and that we would listen. Father, I pray right now that you would speak clearly to everybody in this church, whether it be through their spirit, Lord, and and that you give them the feeling that they know that they know that they know that it's you, whether it be with an audible voice, I just ask that you would speak clearly to everybody in this church, Father. It is so important to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray all these things in your name, amen, amen. Amen. Dang, twelve eleven! I didn't think I was gonna be able to do it. <laughs> but sounds like we have a lot of graduation parties today. I think I'm missing one right now for my cousin. But uh, are, you, are you guys are you guys actually doing the ceremony today? No, it's not a thing. All Well, if everybody could stand with me. Awesome. I'm just gonna say a prayer over the 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 congregation today and dismiss everybody but lord we thank you for letting us be able to come together and 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 just worship you father and, and everything that we did today lord was in your name lord and and we pray that your will be done in all of our lives father that is our true prayer that your will be done not our will but your will we might have suggestions sometimes lord but more importantly than our suggestions are your will even if they go against our suggestions and we just, we just pray that your will would be done in all of our lives. Father, be with everybody as we travel. We ask for travel mercies on everybody this week, whether it be just going home from church or going back and forth to their jobs, Lord. Just, just looking after everybody throughout their travels, Lord. Protect our hearts and our minds, Lord. And we just thank you for everything, and we speak this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I got that done. Good time.